Hey there, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Property Soup. My name is John Staggs, Property Strategist for Access Wealth, and I'm joined by colleague Alan. Hey, guys. How's it going? Excellent. So, Alan from Foundation Property. Today, we've got an episode that I'm very excited to jump into, the mortgage trap, or as I like to call it, the debt treadmill. So, a topic we see more and more questions about these days for good reason, something we're super passionate about helping people understand, tackle, and overcome. Uh, so I'm really thrilled to dive into it this episode. Alan, your thoughts? Yeah, look, I think it's a really good topic to be covering today. And the reason is actually, we thought we'd bring it up because I actually saw a Facebook post, somebody um, posted in one of the Facebook groups and they, they basically said, look, we've, we've had a mortgage for about a year. We've paid $42,000 into the mortgage for the last year. And we can see that we've actually only paid around $7,000 off the principal of the mortgage. So they've got a $600,000 home, something like that. Yep. And they were just completely stunned and shocked. They were like, you know, I think I think their actual words in the post were like, what the hell? You know, <clears throat> what the hell? We've paid $42,000 and uh, yeah, $7,000 has gone to principal and the $35,000, the rest of the money that they paid has just gone to the bank to the interest. Um, yep. And I, I kind of, I think I replied to the post and I said, well, hate to break it to you, but you kind of, that's what you signed up for. <laughs> that's, that's how it works with a 30 year mortgage. Mm. Um, you're for the first 10 or 15 years, you're just smashing down interest. You're barely putting yep. anything down onto the principal and that's how the banks mm -hmm. make money. And they don't really tell you oh, that, yeah. you know, when you're signing on the dotted line, they give you a big, you know, pat on the back and a handshake and go, congratulations for you know, getting your new home, but they don't tell you you're that- pr you're, you're, pr you're a proud homeowner now, right? Yeah, but they don't tell you that you're going to be a slave to your job for the next 30 years because you're going to be paying almost the full amount of the, the property value in interest. So let's say for a $600,000 property, it could be close to 500, 550 in interest payments on the, on the property and you're only paying double actually for the property because you're getting a loan on that property. Yeah, slight clarification. They don't tell you that's what most people do. Right. So you're right that if you didn't have another plan, you would just be a, a slave to working for the next 20, 25, 30 years, but it's not the only option you have. There are options, which we, yeah, that's what we're going to cover today. And actually a, a personal friend of mine as well, she reached out as well and she said, same thing, exactly the same situation. She was like, we've had this mortgage for a year. Uh, interest rates have gone up and you know, we're like, what, is, what are some strategies we can do? We can just see, we're just not look. Like we're just chipping away at this and it's not really making a dent in the mortgage. Like, what do we do? Yeah. And and this this other post as well that I found on Facebook, they only realize now that, you know, if we if we keep going like this, we're we're gonna be paying off this mortgage, you know, into our mid-70s. So really, really important topic. Um, we'll talk about how, you know, interest and mortgage and you know, what even what what does a mortgage mean? And then we'll we'll talk about some some possible options. The, the fun stuff, right? So th this is one of those topics where as a finance nerd, I think sometimes people can feel a bit depressed when they first dive into it. But when we really understand and unpack the problem, it also gives us the ability to have some pretty th thrilling solutions for investing as well. So I think there's two sides to it. So leaning into the crappy side, um, Alan, you know, I think you know well, the, it, I, I love this question as well. Um, what does the word mortgage well, mean? I, I always understood mortgage as till death. That's how I understood it. But John, you're more of a nerd than I am. What, what is the actual translation? 
And I think you've got the, well, I think pretty you've got the Latin so. one and the French one, haven't you? Well, old French, which, oh, which um, old sort French. of flows into old the French. Latin. Yeah. Let's be very, let's get really specific here. Yes. But you're, you're right. It pretty much means until death or, or death pledge. So the, the pledge you make until you die. Um, so, yeah. So mort, of course, death. You know, we get mortician, um, morticia atoms, right? All the death-related words from. And we look through simple numbers. We can understand why. So let's let's use even a more recent time than, than the old medieval French definitions. Even if we look at um, when, the, when the age pension first came in, that's probably the best example, early 1900s. So... During Federation, we had the national age pension kick in. Now, the purpose of the pension was pretty straightforward. It started paying out from the age of 60. And the reason for that was that that was the actual life expectancy nationally. So the idea was if you make it to the point where you're supposed to kick the bucket and you keep going, congratulations, you ain't dead yet. Here's some money for you, right? So that was the purpose of it. Now, if you were the sort of person who got into your home at the age of 25 to 30, and then did nothing but pay it off from the time that you acquired your home up until the point where you kicked the bucket, then you'd fulfill the terms of a mortgage in very simple simple language, right? So that was the original intended purpose of the loan and its structure. Now that we live at least on average 20, 25, perhaps 30 years longer, and our standard of living has changed dramatically, um, has that made the mortgage less burdensome? In many cases, not so much. And there's a few compelling reasons for that that we'll kind of dive into. And I'm sure you can think of some examples of people you've spoken to yourself, Alan. Yeah. Um, like, how, how did you mean exactly, though? Well, I'll go through what, what, I, what, what do you call the mortgage trap and what I like to call the debt treadmill in a bit. So I think there's there's a few elements to understand first. So one is the, the, the lady you mentioned on Facebook and just really reading what seemed like a lot of frustration and heartache and unfairness that was being expressed in that post, it really got to me, right? So to, to make, I mean, to make 42,000 bucks to put just into your cost of accommodation, um, that's massive, right? Especially for a family. I believe they had two kids um, from yeah. memory. I think um, so, yeah. So, yeah. There's a lot of, lot of effort and sacrifice that's required on, on both, both members of the couple's part to actually, you know, put that money in. Let's acknowledge that first off. So, to put in 42 and only see the balance come down by seven, that really sucks, right? There's no two ways about it. Now, why does it happen that way? Um, I'm going to guess that you're pretty, um, or Alan, I won't guess, um, you've, you've seen plenty of amortization schedules and gotten a, a rough idea of how they work yeah. from, from doing yeah, this for yeah. a while. So you basically, you know, uh, uh, you know, for let's say for a 30-year loan, you, you know, they're spreading out the principal payments over that time and then you're you know you're paying the interest basically upfront you know mainly for probably the first 10 15 years uh i mean we you know when you when you put it into a calculator uh let's say like a simple six hundred thousand dollar loan or something even a five hundred thousand dollar loan you put that into a calculator and you put in the interest and the repayments etc you can literally project out that you know uh, let's say a five hundred thousand dollar loan. Even after ten years, it's probably only going to be going down to I don't know. I'm just using very rough figures here, but it might only be down to like four twenty. Yeah, the the rule of thumb is that uh, when you're about a third of the way in, you're probably paid off about a quarter, right? So um, I'm a as you mentioned, a turbo nerd. I'm a sick bastard who's actually built my own amortization schedules in Excel. So so I've seen this top to bottom. Um, so it's really annoying when you first put them together. So if you're doing a 30-year um, loan, 
right? 360 monthly payments. That first month, you're if you're lucky, you, you, you're paying about 5% of that original payment into the principal. Um, the other 95% is going straight to interest, right? And what happens is that over time, that graph inverts. So that by the time you're in the very back end of the mortgage, when you're in um, months 350, 351, 352, it's completely inverted there. Then you're paying 95% principal, tiny percent interest. But obviously that's 29 years down the line, right? So that is a long ass way into the future. Amortization schedules aren't so bad in like a five to seven year term for stuff like car loans, right? You can, it doesn't feel as unfair because you're paying in smaller absolute amounts of money and we're seeing a quicker relative change, right? So, so people don't tend to get as frustrated by that sort of stuff. But when we start talking about a necessity like housing that you're paying off over a 30 year period, that can feel really unfair. Um, and I would agree with that. I definitely wouldn't disagree with that at all. As much as finance gives you the opportunity to do some incredible things, um, seeing the way a schedule plays out like that just feels like shit, right? There's no, there's no real nice way to say it. Um, so everything she mentioned there about you know, feeling like this is unfair, how long is this going to go on for? I get mm. it, right? That, that is okay, well, completely look, frustrating. Uh, let's talk a little bit about then, you know, what your definition of the 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 mortgage treadmill and you know i call it the mortgage trap give us give us some examples of what you mean by that yeah look great question right so if we look at lifestyles in general particularly for now compared to say our grandparents generation there is a lot more pressure to consistently improve your surroundings right whether that's um, upsizing the home because to actually get into a decent sized house first off for most home buyers is virtually impossible, right? The odds that the first property you live in will be bigger than an apartment or, you know, if you're lucky, if you live regionally, a very small house is proportionately very small, right? So as we grow our family, as our lifestyle changes over time, odds are very high that you're gonna have to do some sort of lifestyle improvement, whether that is upsizing to a bigger house, um, whether that is renovating your current property so it actually meets your needs over time, there's going to have to be some sort of pretty major expenditure in order for people to to do what they need to to accommodate the new humans they brought into the world um, to, to make sure they've got you know, a backyard to run around in, the lifestyle choices they want, proximity to the schools they want to go to. So the concept that you're going to... Well, it, you, let, you, you tell me, Alan... Of the people you've spoken to over the years right now, which would number in the thousands, um, who have you met <laughs> when they've gotten into a new home have said, yes, this is now the next home for the next 30 years. We are done. No more property ever. Zero, right? Um, typically, if someone gets into the forever or the dream home, they're usually in their 50s, maybe their 60s, yeah. right? Yeah. It's taken them that long to work That's very important, right? Um, so... When people get into their first home, very, very rarely is that going to be your forever home. Um, and what we often see is that, uh, you know, just even with some recent clients that I've, I've been working with is, you know, you you may get a home, let's say, I don't know, you might have bought it 20 years ago or 15 years ago for $400,000. You know, as the family grows, let's say more kids, the kids get into school, the, the, the house feels a little bit tired the the equity is being built so you know over that kind of 15 year period a $400,000 house on average could be 8 to 900,000 dollars which means you've got a big chunk of equity in there right um but what often happens is and people don't realize is 
when they refinance, so let's say they refinance because they want to renovate the house, they want to put in a pool or uh, they want to go on a holiday or they want to buy a car or buy a boat or something like that, they are using, it's it's good debt and bad debt, right? They are using um, debt and they're creating more bad debt. So let's say your home has gone up by, you know, $100,000 and then they put that back into the house, right? Now they've got $500,000 of debt, not $400,000. They've got $500,000. Um, but they're not creating more wealth. They're just resetting their mortgage. So they're just extending the mortgage further and further. And then another five years might pass and the property market's again moved up. And so they've got more equity in their house. And so they might go, well, actually a house is worth, you know, more now, maybe we should upgrade our home. And so they go into this cycle of like, into the up, upsizing cycle. And then they get a bigger home with more debt and then they reset again. So 15 years, you know, prior, they, they might've had the home paid off, you know, in around 20, 25, 30 years, whatever, but because they keep upsizing, they keep getting into more and more bad debt what essentially happens is they keep pushing it out and keep pushing it out. And if they just kind of, um, which is very difficult to do, right? Because of lifestyle choices, et cetera, and pressures of modern life and everything. But if they just kept on the original mortgage, they probably would have it paid off. Let's say if they got that mortgage in their, I don't know, mid twenties, you know, early thirties. Yeah, they'll have it paid off by, you know, late fifties, something like that. But because they keep resetting and resetting and getting into more and more bad debt, you know, we've projected this so many times. And when you sit down and, and, and look at the numbers and project it out, what they've actually done is they've taken a mortgage, which they could have paid off at age, let's say 55, 60. And every time they refinance, you're extending that by another five years, five to 10 years. All of a sudden now that same mortgage or that debt has to be paid. It's going to take you till the age of 70, then 75. I've seen some cases where you know, we, we sit down and, and project out the numbers and hey, guys, this is not going to be paid off till 82. Like what, what are you going to do at 82 when you've still got a mortgage? And it's, it's, it, when you look at it like that, it's really shocking and it's eye-opening. Um, but people don't realize at the time that, you know, that taking that equity out, uh, we use the same terminology, right? It's like using your house, like a massive credit card taking the credit out and spending on, on stuff, which is not creating wealth for you and not getting you ahead and not getting you out of the rat race. It's keeping you stuck in the rat race. hundred percent. And look, one thing I do want to, you know, be, be clear about as well, this isn't, you know, definitely. And, and I think that's clear from our, both at a tone. This isn't one of those preachy podcasts, right? This isn't me here saying, you know, ah, once you get into a home, you must stay there forever. Um, you know, speaking like some older pundits who are, from back in the day when when houses were roughly, you know, three times the median income, where you could actually just, you know, but knuckle down, save a bit more, pay a bit faster and be, get shit paid off. Okay, boomer, those days are fucking gone, right? So so let's be real. Um, let's also acknowledge that there are some sometimes pretty good reasons for people to do this stuff, right? The scenario used is actually pretty conservative, Alan, right? So if we look on average, the average mortgage from inception to the point where the person either sells down, has a big refinance or gets out of it is usually about seven years, right? So it's actually a shorter period than the 15 years used in your example, which 
again, understandable. Um, I'll give you an example. So I've got friends, I've got family who need to move close to certain schools, uh, sorry, certain schools because um, their kids have particular needs. So that's that's not a. This isn't a. You know, let's let's pull it out. You know, go to Bali or go to the casino and slap it all on on black. Right? That's that's not the case for these folks. Um, they've had compelling reasons to go to more expensive areas to. You know, to make sure the kids are looked after. But again, um, if we don't do something once they're in that situation, we've now got the mortgage till 75 or 80, that still means that down the line we get screwed, right? So having an alternative plan and a reason to do something um, is just vitally important. So I uh, just wanted to give that bit of context. But what you mentioned is is absolutely bang on. You know, if we don't take some action, um, we start looking down the line at how life looks at the age of 70, 75, 80, um, it starts getting pretty brutal. What are some of the examples, I guess, you've seen of people who haven't planned ahead and some of the things they, they've had to do? If you haven't really planned correctly and you end up having to downsize, you end up kind of penny pinching at the end of your working life, which is that's nobody wants to do that. You know, nobody wants to get to the end of their working life yeah. and give up the home that they've yes. held on for, you know, a family home, which they've held on, you know, for a long time and then go to you know, smaller living and then and then kind of penny pinch at the end of their working life. It's not, nobody really wants to do that. At, at the very worst, I've seen people go back to renting, which is horrible. That's just terrible. And, you know, imagine yeah. being having to do that now in, in the rental crisis where there's rents are skyrocketing because there's no stock or, but just imagine being, you know, going from a homeowner um, and then having to go back to renting when you retire because you've just gotten into so much bad debt and you haven't acquired enough wealth generating and wealth um, creating assets that you literally don't have enough um, at retirement. And yeah, you've got to get rid of everything because you just got too much debt. I think it's important to understand what's actually happening generationally as we do keep moving forward as well. So one thing that a lot of people may not be aware of right now is that currently the the median age for a first-home buyer across Australia is 36 years of age, right? So again, massively different to generations past where you could potentially save a much larger deposit in a shorter space of time um, just due to the disparity between um, income and cost of living. Um, obviously, that gap is getting squeezed and squeezed and squeezed as time goes on. Rising rental doesn't help in that respect either. When we start talking about major cities like Sydney and Melbourne, that age of first home purchase actually gets much closer to 40, right? So before we even consider the pressures that come with upsizing, even to lifestyle upgrade, uh, doing things for your kids and your family, those goalposts have shifted dramatically, right? Now, let's consider something else. So if we look at how the boomers retired, and look, I give them plenty of shit because they you know, I'll say they deserve it, but but there were some things they did particularly well. Um, if you we look at the boomers in general, typically they had their home paid off by the time they got to about 55, right? So that final 10 years of their working life where they were generating the most income and the most productive in their role, they had really a solid 10 years to put their money directly towards investing, right? So in the case of this couple that you, you found on Facebook, Alan, um, so 42,000 bucks a year, over a 10-year period, we stick that into any sort of investment. Does it have the ability to massively transform your retirement outcomes? Of course, right? That's that's going to be a big boost to it. Is it enough for you to retire forever? Maybe, maybe not, but at least 420k going into some form of asset, that's pretty awesome, right? Now, if we can't do that, so if we're on average as a country 
having people come into their first home at 36, they're then going to get on the debt treadmill, recycle, recycle equity, recycle, build up the debt, and now be in a position, like you mentioned, Alan, where we enter retirement with a mortgage and need to downsize. We've also now missed at least a 10-year window of investing a lot of money into the market to put towards our retirement, right? We've now got to hope that whatever has gone to super by accident through our working life is going to be enough to cut it. Yeah, I definitely want to dive into that, John. Um, let's maybe take a step back though, um, because you know, if you know, for the listeners out there, if there, there's a lot of people going through this similar situation where they just feel hopeless. You know, they feel like, and we're putting in 40, 50 grand a year into our mortgage, and we, you know, it's just not making a dent. Um, and, and this was, you know, in the post as well. And my friend also has said, you know, what, if, what are our options? Like, how do we, how do we pay less interest? How do we get this down? So let's maybe just dive into a few of the options out there that they could possibly have, that the listener could possibly have to really chip away at this mortgage and, and not have it paid off in 30 or 40 years, but maybe in 20 years or 15 years or even 10 years. Like what are some practical options let's say short-term options and more kind of medium-term options. Yeah, 100%. So look, the first big one, I think the first big lever that virtually anyone can pull on um, is loan optimization and smarter money management, right? Um, and these are some really, really simple hacks. So the first one is usage of an offset account. Um, any you know, thoughts you want to share on this, I guess, before I dive down the nerd rabbit hole, Alan? No, let's, um, yeah, look, offsets are probably one of the most practical and easiest uh, ones to to implement straight yep. away. Um, but let's, let's maybe if you explain it and then we kind of explain how, how it works so people understand exactly how it works. Yes. So look, the term offset um, is where the clue is, right? So very simply, let's pretend for a moment you've got a mortgage for $600,000. And over the course of the year, if you made your payments, um, I'm just going to use simple numbers that probably won't line up with the real world. But let's, let's imagine if you made your payments over the course of the year, um, your balance on that mortgage would be $580,000, right? If you just made the absolute minimum required. Now, with an offset account, any further payments that you put in over the course of the year, where you're in advance over the minimum required, will basically be set straight against the principal and offset the amount of interest you get charged, right? So let's pretend over the course of the year, you put an extra... $20,000 of payments in, right? What that means is by the end of the year, you're being charged interest on a $560,000 balance instead of 580, right? However, because it's an offset account, you haven't lost that $20,000. It hasn't disappeared down a hole never to reappear. Anything that you put in ahead of the minimum payment, you still have full access to. So if you need to withdraw it, let's say there's a medical emergency, the kids need something, unexpected bill and you want that money back, you can pull it back out any time, but it reduces the total interest you pay over the life of the loan. I just want to make sure that people get this, how, how that works. So let's let's use, a, let's use a different example, right? So let's say you've got a $500,000 mortgage, right? You're going to be charged interest on that, right? On that $500,000. Now, let's say you had $50,000 in an offset the offset, what the offset is, it's attached to your home loan, right? So um, if you had $50,000 in your offset account, 
the way the bank looks at it is that, well, we won't charge you because you've put $50,000 in, into an offset and you're keeping it with us. So we'll only charge you the interest on the $450,000, not the $500,000. So obviously what, what that means is you're paying less interest and you're putting, a, and as long as you keep your repayments the same, you're now paying a little bit more of that principal and you're starting to chip away more at your mortgage. Correct. So in very simple as a, as a simple example for that one, so 6% interest on $500,000 would be $30,000 over the course of the year, right? On a 450K balance would be $27,000. So, which is cool. There's 3,000 more that you've gotten you know, over, the, over, over time. Now, 3,000 bucks over 12 months, you're not really going to feel it, to be honest, right? That's 250 bucks a month. So, is that going to make or break the budget? Probably not. The benefit of the offset account is that by doing it this way, you probably chipped a few years off the loan at least. Various from example to example, but depending on the size of loan you start with and the amount you're putting into the offset account, it's not unusual for this to chip away four, five, six, seven years straight off the bat, right? So a 30-year loan now goes down 23 years, which is pretty awesome. On top of that- That's, uh, well, hang on, that, that's that's amazing. So just that just that one move, knocking off seven years off your mortgage. Yes. That's that's pretty incredible. I mean, that's seven extra years of, um, you know, being free of mortgage payments every month. So that's a, that's a big difference. Yeah. Yes. On top of that, the lever that most people can pull on is frequency of payment, right? So this, and this is something that trips people out until they first consider it. Now, the beauty of the way that, that mortgages are structured is they're what are called daily reducible loans, right? Are you fairly aware of that term, Alan? Yeah. Look, um, my understanding is is that well, what people don't understand is that your interest is calculated daily. So the more frequently you make payments, the the basically the less interest you're going to be charged. Correct. So the so the actual daily calculation for the interest charges daily. However, the charge only occurs once monthly. So what that means, like you mentioned, Alan, is that over the course of a month, let's let's pretend you're paid fortnightly as an example. If you could make your mortgage repayments to the fortnight, break it down piece by piece, um, that actually reduces the interest calculation over time. If you get paid weekly and you can put the amount in weekly out of your budget as opposed to doing a lump sum once the end of your month, um, added to the, to the benefit of an offset account, that typically will reduce the loan by a further few years. So... For most people, when we run these calculations, if they're using both the an incremental weekly payment in combination with an offset account, that'll typically rip seven to ten years off the mortgage straight away. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And um, I think there's one more add-on to that as well. Um, if you can somehow set things up and you can set the the flow up correctly, if you have all of your income coming into the offset as well, that also um, has the ability to potentially reduce the term of the loan because imagine you've got $50,000 of savings in your offset, right? Which is reducing your interest and therefore increasing your principal payments and bringing your loan term down. If you've, if you, in addition to that, you've got, uh, let's say weekly or fortnightly income coming in there, like everything's coming in, then all of a sudden your offset is not sitting at around 50,000. It could be sitting at um, 60 to 65,000, depending on the situation 
on a regular basis and that further yes. so, reduces your interest. So Correct. So what, what most banks will practically do when you set up an offset account is they'll give you a linked credit card, right? Now, this is one of those times where a credit card can actually be an extremely useful tool if used correctly. So hypothetically, let's pretend that as a family, you know that most months you'll be able to budget within $10,000 for all of your expenses, right? So if we've now got a $10,000 credit card that we know that at the end of the month we can pay off, well, in the meantime, if all of our incomes are going straight into the offset account, as you mentioned, Alan, that reduces the daily charge as much as possible over time. Then at the end of the month, we pay the credit card down to zero. We make sure that accrues no interest over time. So we're using it genuinely as a pure budgeting tool. Um, done correctly, the, the addition of that money sitting in offset will typically, again, varies according to income levels, the amount of mortgage you've taken out and a few other factors. But if we said anywhere from another two to five years on top of that, that's probably mm. about right. So there's three things there, you know, uh, setting up, uh, well, what was it? We were setting up the offset. What was the other one? Using a linked credit card and frequency, frequency of, payment. of payments. So reducing your payments, not let's yep. say monthly, but maybe fortnightly or even weekly would, would help. Yeah, eat the elephant one bite at a time. Don't, don't, don't try and go to the all-you-can-eat elephant buffet. Yeah. So, you know, you could potentially knock off, you know, even up to 10 years, maybe even a little bit more um, off your mortgage just by those three moves, which are very, you know, very simple moves actually. Yep. Yep. 100%. So if we're talking about you know practical tools most people can use to optimize straight away, uh, but it's pretty liberating, right? So knocking 10 to 12 years off the mortgage before you've even thought about you know using a penny to invest, that can be pretty cool, right? But it still does leave us with the overall situation of knowing that in all likelihood, seven to 10 years down the line, we'll probably feel lifestyle pressures to upgrade. Um, even if we don't, one thing that that is really the case right now is that as people's lifestyle costs are going up due to the rising cost of debt um, and the rising cost of goods, uh, many people are refinancing purely just to meet their lifestyle needs, right? So, so that's something that that you you still are probably going to feel pressure for, right? So, that's what we often consider the next step to really alleviate that pressure a lot more quickly and build a lot more wealth. Um, how do we then do something further? So, one of the nice things about utilizing an offset payment frequency um, and a linked credit card is that the quicker we build up that equity, well, hypothetically, if you want to reinvest that equity, if you've got a safe and good option, such as a thoroughly researched property, um, that now becomes a lot more feasible, mm. a lot more quickly. Well, uh, just before right. we get into that, John, I, I kind of want to touch on, because, um, yeah, look, the, that, that, that's a, uh, setting up the offset, et cetera, that's a very, those are kind of more simple and, and very, um, quick and practical steps that you can do when you're going to get some, although it's very difficult to yeah. see, you, you're going to get, start getting some immediate results, but there's, there are other steps where, you know, you could potentially get your mortgage down to 15 years and even 10 years, even less than that, depending on, you know, how well you, you invest your money and, and take equity out and reinvest it. But one of the, the reason I just wanted to stop there for a second is, you know, I was having this conversation with uh, my friend and and her husband, and I kind of explained, and in, in a, I showed them. You know, they were asking about tax as well, like how does tax work? And this is a very, very important point that we need to make, because a lot of people will just say, "Well, I'll just, I'll just throw money at my mortgage. I'll just put extra money into it." That's a look. Sounds good in theory, but. A, 
a lot of people are missing that the point that you're throwing money into your mortgage with post-tax dollars, post-tax dollars. You're throwing money away and there's an efficient way to, there's a more efficient way to do it. So what I mean by that is, let's say you've got, let's say you earn $10, right? You get paid, you're, you're getting income, you've, you've got $10. Well, you don't put $10 straight into your mortgage, do you? Because there's a thing, little thing that we call tax. So out of that $10, most people will pay minimum three to $4 out of that, which means you've got $6 left, six to $7 left, and then you put that into your mortgage. So if you just think, uh, I'll just put an extra, keep putting in an extra $10 on top of what I'm already paying into my mortgage, well, you keep losing that three to four dollars. You're just going wasted, 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 wasted. It's just wasted money. Yeah. Well, the the other side is all right. So that that hypothetical scenario you've used, that's on the assumption that you don't have commitments to a uh, spouse, children, uh, you know, to to travel, uh, to live your life, right? So that's assuming I am now robot human who pays my tax and does nothing yeah, else. Yeah, I yeah, pay exactly. Off my I haven't even um, spoken about all the other things, which is your living costs, um, you know, school fees holidays you need to let you know you've got to live a little bit as well like eating out but yeah if you just throw money at your mortgage you 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 could be wasting depending on your income level and your tax bracket you could be wasting you know four or five dollars out of out of ten dollars you could be wasting that money if you're just throwing it at your mortgage and there's a much better way to do it you want to try to pay your mortgage off with pre-tax dollars or at least get more efficient and not waste $3, maybe just lose $2 out of every $10. Yeah, I think if we get right down to it, right, some people often consider, oh, what do I want to invest, right? I mean, that means there's there's more time I've got to think about it, more effort I have to put into it, you know, potential risk I might have to undertake. Well, that is true, right? All those points are pretty fair. However, what is, you know, as you mentioned in many episodes previously, Alan, the risk of just doing what I'm doing and doing nothing else, right? So. The risk if you purely do it through income is that either you end up working more hours and then lose the time with the people you care about. Um, obviously, we're going to end up paying more tax the more we earn. So as you mentioned, it's massively inefficient. Um, it'd be like every time you go for a run, um, you decide to run through the, the wettest, muddiest, sandiest part, right? Like, yeah, you'll go forwards, but you're going to have to expend a huge amount of energy yeah. uh, to keep moving forward. Yeah. And, right? and just touching on that efficient. as well, John, is that a great strategy? is a strategy of I'll just work um, um, and put extra money into my mortgage to pay it down faster, is that the best strategy? Because what happens if you have to stop working? What happens for health reasons, you have to be out of the workforce yeah. for a year or two years? Um, you know, 30%, statistically, 30% of Australians are forced to leave the workforce before retirement. So even if you wanted to work till 65, <laughs> to pay off your mortgage. Statistically, um, 30% of people just don't even make it to retirement age because of health reasons or health reasons with family members or simply that, or, or simply that um, they're forced to leave the workforce because uh, they're being replaced with uh, young people with better skills uh, or they're just made redundant. So you have to think about that. What happens if you get to 57 years old and your plan is to keep working till 65 
and you've got a $400,000 mortgage and at 57, you have to leave the workforce. And now you're on one income, not two incomes. So this is, you know, we, we always have these conversations. The reason why we love top, talking about these topics is from genuine concern, from speaking to so many people. We've seen this with our friends and family as well. There are so many people that are unprepared for when they leave the workforce, whether that's at retirement or if they're forced to leave the workforce force early. Yeah. Look, for me, I constantly hear from people, um, I wish I'd planned ahead. I wish I'd done something sooner. I wish I'd waited so long. Yeah, I wish I hadn't kicked the can down the road, right? I've yet to hear a person who's who said to me, you know, I, I regret actually doing something, right? You know, I regret, you know, even if it wasn't the best property in the world and they're a little bit frustrated by it, um, it's very rare they regret taking action. They just wish they'd done, they just wish they'd, they'd looked a bit more before they'd leaped, right? But I'll, I'll almost never hear someone say they regretted, you know, doing something for themselves. That's what this all comes down to. Yeah. So look, it's been a pretty, um, pretty important discussion to have. And look, obviously a lot of this part has been a lot of problem analysis and looking at the the very surface of a way to start digging into attacking it. But then how do we really hyper accelerate this? How do we, like you mentioned, Alan, um, actually put a feasible and realistic plan into action to most people to chip this mortgage down to 10 years or less? And it is very possible, something we've seen thousands of times before, um, but often until people know those simple steps, it just feels too overwhelming to do it. So to go through that in some detail, um, we really do need another episode, right? So um, in a good way, we're going over what we've planned. So I think that's going to be awesome for us to dive into on the next episode. And if I can nerd out again, um, and I'll give credit where credit's due, the, this, uh, the meaning of this word really came to me through Alex Hormozzi, uh, another great entrepreneur you should definitely follow. And one of the things that he talked about in in terms of really helping to empower people is to getting to the root of the word decision. So it comes from Latin, decadere, which means to cut off, right? So if we, if we nerd out even further, it goes back to the Greek fates who would spin out people's destiny and eventually cut off the thread. So decision is basically from the same root. So to choose which future will live and which future will die. And the great thing about that is that it is actually, there is so much more that's within people's power that they originally consider. And when you actually understand step-by-step step what your choices are, it's much mm. easier to do something yeah. for yourself than you would ever, ever have imagined. Well, let's, let's save that for the next episode because, yeah, look, we've looked at some very simple offset strategies, but there, there are other ways. Um, like we've seen this in the property market. Um, you can really accelerate debt reduction and actually eliminating debt from your home much faster by using leverage and the property market to help you do it through property investing. Uh, as long as you do it safely yep. with, um, you know, with some healthy cash flow, we'll, we'll get into that into the next episode. Um, but yeah, look, we've run out of time. So keep an eye out for the next episode. We'll get into how does property investing actually get you to pay off your mortgage in maybe 10 years, maybe even less in some cases, depending on the situation, but at least halving yes. the time of your mortgage. Imagine being able to take a 30-year mortgage uh, just with some simple strategies and getting that down to 15 years. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it'll be a massive change for most people, like you know that burden of those monthly mm. repayments 
Uh, imagine that just completely being gone. And look, if you want to hear more about that, tune into the next episode. Thanks, guys. It'll we'll- be amazing. See you, see you next time, everyone.